0: Hear the word of the Lord. Peter writes, Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will all be burned up. May God add his blessing to his word this morning. Please be seated. Glenn Angst and his family were missionaries in China for a number of years. In their last years, they, in fact, had been put under house arrest by the Chinese government and were waiting there, isolated, until they got news that they could go back home to the U.S. One day, finally, a soldier came and knocked on the door and told them that they could now leave and go back to the U.S., and that he would be back later to pick them up and take them to the airport. However, they could only take 200 pounds with them. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment because it was quite a quandary for this family. If it was your family, you had a wife and, and, and a husband and two kids. You think about, uh, after having spent years there, the 200 pounds wasn't a whole lot. And they just tried to decide right there what was important and what Needed to stay. Glenn's wife uh, was particularly interested in some vases and a sewing machine that were as important to her. Glenn, of course, thought his computer and his books were most valuable, and the children found themselves concerned about clothes and toys and games. They had much more than 200 pounds when it came all down to it. And so they got out the scales and the family arguments began. They argued a little while about this and finally someone relented and they put it in the discard pile. They argued some more and said something else and this worked and this didn't. And they weren't all in agreement, but finally they came down to it and they were at 200 pounds on the dot. Well, later that day, the soldier came back and asked, are you ready to go? And Glenn said, I think we're ready. Well, did you weigh everything? We, we weighed everything. And the soldier asked, well, how much did the kids weigh? Kids. We didn't weigh the kids. And so suddenly the argument was over. The sewing machine, the books, the computer, all of that just didn't quite seem as important. This morning, I want to remind the church that very soon (laughs) we will be going home. The Bible teaches that those who are in Christ will one day be in the presence of the Lord forever. But the Bible was also clear Christians should live with the expectation that Jesus is coming back to earth soon. Now, I don't have to tell you that this year, 2020, has been like no other year I can remember in my lifetime. We have seen the very fabric of our society torn apart by this coronavirus and the disputes that it it has caused, the turmoil of race relations, the uncertainty of our upcoming elections. Add that uh, to shutdowns and masks and conflicted science and, and questions about religious liberty, and I think it 's safe to say there is an awful amount of angst in our world now now last, uh, now next week, I, I want you to come back, and I hope that if you're listening online that you 'll tune in because I want to preach a message i 've contemplated now for some time, and I want to talk about Christ. Corona and the church and how all of this comes together. And I'm going to speak to all the divisiveness that is going on in our communities and our culture. And what I believe is an adequate and important Christian response. But I want to deal with this issue first. I've begun to hear questions this morning regarding biblical prophecy and wondering, the questions go, is this the time? Are we pastor in the last days? And my answer is always the same. We most certainly are. My friends, you should know that from a biblical perspective, we have been in the last days ever since Jesus Christ ascended to heaven some 2,000 years ago. But, but understand this. It is written in scripture that in the last days there will come times of Difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, Paul wrote to Timothy. Man alive, if we paid attention to that verse, it might cause us to change our Facebook feed somewhat. Hebrews 2, verse 1-2 says, In these last days, in these last days... He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed over all things and through whom he has made all the universe. And so the Bible's perspective is, is that we are living in the last days. But there are some Christians who can get very caught up in the whole idea of prophecy and what will occur and what it will look like according to an interpretation of scripture or rather often what someone else told them that they interpret scripture to be. And so I want to talk about this this morning. Now, when it comes to think about, thinking about the return of Christ, my goodness, this ought to be something that excites us. It ought to be something that, in fact, unites us and encourages us to work together as a community. And yet, sometimes I see in the church the exact opposite because we have a tendency to break off into our camps. We get angry because you don't agree with me and I don't agree with you. You may be premillennial or postmillennial or amillennial. And depending how you come at all those issues, you could be a dispensational millennialist or a historic premillennialist, or you might be post trib, pre trib, or mid trib. Who knows? Now, for a lot of you, I, I suspect, you probably don't have a clue about any of those things. You just know that Kirk Cameron has something to do with it, and you don't want to get left behind. But, uh, but that's, that's kind of the way we see it. But what we do need to know is this. What is important about this doctrine that Jesus Christ is coming again? And on that question, the Bible is not silent. In fact, did you know that out of one out of every 30 verses in scripture speaks to the end times or the second coming in some way? In fact, in the New Testament, there are 260 chapters with more than 300 references to the end of the age. So the Bible is certainly not silent. But what is the message? Let me give you as best I know a summation of what the scriptures teach about the second coming. And quite frankly, two words simply cover it all. This is what's important. This is a scriptural message. Be ready. Above all things, be ready. The the Bible's purpose for telling us about the second coming of Christ is not so that we have some code to break. Some puzzle to figure out or even something interesting to debate. No, it rather tells us about the second coming so that we can be prepared for when it happens. I hope that you've noticed that this morning in this passage that we've read. The Apostle Peter is writing to a church that is at that time going through persecution They're they're being intimidated by authorities. They're starting to question whether or not Christ is, in fact, going to return. In 2 Peter 3, beginning with verse 3, we read that he says, Know that, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Peter has heard the scoffers, and so have these believers. Ah, you can't believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? That's so fanciful. That's absurd. Why? Well, because he hasn't come yet. Each day is just like the other. And of course, to argue that Jesus isn't coming because he hasn't come yet doesn't hold a lot of water, but it does, over time, carry emotional weight. And, of course, I look around our society today, and we certainly have scoffers. I, I've seen again and again this recent uh, Ron Reagan commercial, advertisement for the Freedom from Religion Society, where he gets up and he advertises it, and then he ends with saying, I'm Ron Reagan, lifelong atheist, not afraid of burning in hell. Of course, there are other scoffers, too, I was reading an article by Tim Keller. In 2009, well before our current political climate was established, he wrote these words. He said, recently, I have been reading through Proverbs and was struck by a particular character that shows up about 17 times. In the NIV translation, he's called the mocker. In the King James Version, the scorner. And in many others, the scoffer. But the scoffer's behavior has two characteristics. First, he or she is marked by dogmatism, a closed mind. The scoffer never says, well, I might be wrong here, or I was wrong here. The scoffer is always right. There is never a humble openness to change. In a striking phrase in chapter 20, verse 1, he says, It tells us that the scoffer is no more open to reason than a hopelessly drunk person. Second, he said, scoffers show no respect for opponents or opposing points of view. They do not simply refute them. They belittle, insult, and mock them. Does that sound like our society? Some scoffers that we know of? There is always a tone of contempt, he says, and disdain. Together, dogmatism and contemptuous derision comprise the spiritual condition of the scoffer. According to Proverbs, these two characteristics do not stem from a lack of intelligence. Proverbs speaks of the simple or the gullible person, those who lack sense because they are thoughtlessly lazy. But scoffers are not intellectually lazy. Indeed, they are often sharp-witted, and they have been seduced into this mode by their very mental acuity. Their condition is not their mental capacity, but their mental attitude, especially their attitude toward themselves and therefore toward God. It is an attitude marked by pride. Scoffers are among us. The believers heard the scoffing. The believers in the church were waiting for Christ's return. They had suffered, they were persecuted, and they were thinking to themselves, Lord, this is a pretty good time. I I was talking to Joanne this morning. This is a pretty good time for you to come back, change it, make it better. And you think about it, for us, it's been 2,000 years. It's been 725,000 days since Christ ascended into heaven, and he still hasn't returned. And yet Peter says, don't for a moment give in to these people who mock you and say, it won't happen at all. And so then Peter begins to outline his argument. In verse 5, he says, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. The NIV says, but they deliberately forget. The phrase is a little tough to translate, but basically it means they intentionally overlook. They don't want to see what's right in front of them. They intentionally overlook that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And so Peter reminds us that at the very beginning, in the beginning, God created. There was a beginning. It started with him. You can try to ignore that fact. You can try to explain it away all you want. But that is right in front of you, that we live in a world that was created. And Peter says there will be an ending. And it will be God's doing, just as he predicted. If God has the power to create the world, is it so much a stretch to believe that he can send his son back to the world and destroy it at will? In verse 6, he says, it happened once with water. Don't be surprised when it happens by fire. Now, Peter then addresses a very good question that had to be on his readers' minds. If he hasn't come, why not? If he is going to come, why doesn't he? Now, as I've already said, the people who received this letter were going through a time of suffering and persecution. Many of them couldn't work because other uh, people in the society didn't want to deal with Christians. Some had been put in jail. Government authorities had repeatedly intimidated them. And whenever you were going through rough times, the one question you always ask is, Lord, where are you? If he can get me out of this, why doesn't he? Now, I want to just stop right there. And I've heard some people suggest that we as Christians are going through a time of persecution. And a lot of that is in relationship to the fact that we are having to wear a mask. Now, I want to be very careful here, but I do believe that there are some places around our nation where the government has overreached and been unfair and not really uh, uh, very smart in how they have given out their mandates concerning this virus. But I, I also think it is rather su- silly and foolish to compare what we're going through to what many other Christians around this world today are going through. I, I've been reading about China, for instance, and just recently, again was struck by an article that talked about how the Chinese government is going in and taking, uh, uh, forcing Christians who are in poverty and they're forcing them to take down their crosses and their, their pictures of Jesus and instead forcing them to put up pictures of communist authorities and say, you ought to give them thanks, you ought to be worshipping them. What's happening in Iraq, and Tunisia, and in India, and in Iran, Egypt, Syria, we could go on and on. There is more persecution of Christians today than perhaps at any other time in history. But I think it's, it's rather silly for us to say that we have experienced any degree. But first, what Peter does here is he points out that God sees time differently than we do. Verse 8 reads, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. In other words, God's timing is different. With God, there is no beginning and end. He is the beginning and the end. He's not a prisoner of time. If I drew a a line on a piece of paper and I said, this is the beginning of time and this is the end, God would be the entire piece of paper. He sees time all unfolding at once. And so Peter uses this analogy. I think that we can understand And he says to God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. It hasn't been that long. In fact, to God, Jesus just ascended a couple of days ago. But I think even more critical to Peter's argument is found in verse 9. He says this, The Lord is not slow about his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see, God is not slow. He's patient. And there's a difference. It's an important difference. God is not slow. He's patient. If he were slow, it would be that we would say he really doesn't care what is happening here on earth or in some way. He can't get his act together and do the right thing. But that's not what Peter says. No, God is patient and he tells us that he does care. And it's out of his great love for you that he waits and holds back. You see, there are people listening to me this morning and maybe someone right here in this room who still hasn't accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's out of his great love for you, the Bible says, that he waits. In fact, in verse 15, it says, regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. From God's perspective, the longer he waits, the more opportunity you will have to say yes to his gift through Jesus Christ. The longer he waits, he is hoping that you will say yes to Christ. And Peter makes it clear, there is a day coming when the waiting will be done. And I can't help but wonder as I see our culture sliding faster and faster into the moral abyss of secularism. The moral confusion that's existing about sexuality and gender. The, 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 the lack of confidence we have in, in even godliness and goodness. When we, when we think of religion and faith as dangerous, I wonder if he can wait much longer. Now... Peter says the implication of Jesus' coming then is this. Second Peter 3, verse 11, he says, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In verse 14, he answers, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace spotless. And blameless. You know, when uh, a lot of you probably didn't get to take a vacation this summer, but when you get an opportunity to get away and you go on a vacation, the first thing you've got to decide is where you're going to go. Is it going to be London, London, Ohio, or London, England? There's a difference, right? Are you going to go to 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 to? To, uh, you know, Yosemite Park or are just going to go to the metro parks. You might uh, get a brochure. You might uh, check the website. You would imagine yourself in the pictures. You count the cost. And, of course, then you make your choice. You make a decision. The Bible reminds us that we have a decision to make about our eternal Destination. Will we spend eternity with Christ in heaven, or will we decide to spend eternity without Christ in the alternative, hell? And of course, the Bible paints a picture of what to expect, what each eternal home will be like. The book of Revelation, for instance, describes heaven in terms of a a place of incredible beauty, loving relationships, uninhibited worship, no more sickness. No more crying, no more pain. But it also describes hell. It's described as a place of fire and darkness, eternal weeping, and gnashing of teeth. I read this last week that gnashing of teeth is the body's response to an emotional regret. It's as if you look back in your life and you remember things that you would have done differently if you could... But you missed it, and so you gnash your teeth. If only I'd made a different decision. When Jesus Christ returns, the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But listen, you won't get credit for it then. C.S. Lewis wrote, there is no good saying I choose to kneel down when it has become impossible to stand up. So we are in a decision phase right now. Where will you be in eternity? The Bible says we can decide to receive the gift of Jesus Christ as our Savior. We can repent of our sin. Or we can decide not to. But, of course, there is a second phase to this destination, and that is what I would call the preparation phase. You, you you don't just get prepared for a vacation by accident. You you prepare for it. You you have to work at it. You you have to pack your bags. you got to get transportation lined up. Money needs to be saved, perhaps. If you're like me, I go on a diet and exercise program to look good in my bathing suit. Now, you don't believe that, and uh, I wouldn't either. Now, we should be prepared for Christ's return, too. In fact, one of the reasons we get so caught up with uh, when he will return is because we want to be ready. So we'd love to, to have it on our phones and make sure we get an alarm. It's almost time. Be ready. But as you know, the Bible isn't that specific. Yet we're like children in the back seat of the car. Are we there yet, Daddy? The disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 24, Jesus, when will the end come? And he said, it's not for you to know the day nor the hour there will come signs like birth pains of a pregnant woman. That will let you know it's getting closer, but it's not for you to know the exact time. And then Jesus says something extraordinary, something I would never expect him to say. He says, I don't even know, only my father in heaven. I never expect Jesus to say that, but he doesn't even know. And that means that I shouldn't be surprised I don't know. And by the way, the the television preacher you listen to doesn't know either. I think the Bible is vague in some of its prophecies because God wants us to live with an attitude of readiness every day. This could be that day. Luke twelve twenty four. Jesus says simply, you too be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So it could be today. It could be now, before you walk out the door of this church, before you get up. Before you go into your house, before you eat lunch, before you turn on the TV, before you go to bed, before you wake up. It could be today. And The Bible says we should live with a spirit of readiness. Peter says be holy in conduct and godliness. Live in peace. Be spotless and blameless. You see, for many of us, we think the big eschatological question is when? When is he coming for us or how is he going to come? Peter says, no, the big question is, what do I want to be caught doing? What kind of life will I be living? Do I want to be caught with some snarky post online or do I want to point people to Jesus? Do I want to be caught reading his book, his the scriptures, studying it, understanding it, or watching a morally questionable reality TV show? I, I I want to be caught serving the church. I want to be caught giving life, not taking it. I want to be caught singing in my car instead of honking my horn at someone. I want to be caught praying with a friend encouraging a coworker loving my family witnessing to my neighbor comforting the hurting sharing my testimony giving to someone in need rejoicing in my suffering i want to be caught living a holy and godly life so what kind of life will you be caught living Be prepared. Be ready. Live today as this is, as if this is the day. It'll change your life, change your perspective. It'll change the world. Let's pray together. Lord, I... I grew up listening to the stories in Sunday school about Noah and Noah's Ark. And Lord, we have a tendency in the church to see that story and we we think how nice a boat and animals and rainbow and rain. But Lord, there comes a point when we realize that there's another part of that story that sometimes we kind of just gloss over. It is a story of judgment And devastation for those who chose not to follow after you. Lord, similarly, we we rejoice in the idea that you are coming again. But we know that that day is a day that, Lord, what well, you will say to the world, it is finished. It is over. Time has stopped. And, Lord, because you love us, you reach out. And, Lord, every person who can hear my voice this morning has a new opportunity to say yes to your gift of grace. Lord, I pray that we might come to the ark. That, Lord, when you destroyed the world by water, you provided an ark, and once that door was closed, it was closed. It could not be opened again. Lord, Jesus Christ is our ark. The cross is there. It is open this morning. And we can say yes. And I pray that, Lord, the people who hear my voice this morning would each of us run to that ark. And when that fire comes, Lord, we would be found in you, being able to live with you forever in the place that you prepared. Oh, God, I thank you for this word today. And even in this time of corona, You're reaching out to us. You're reminding us that this world will pass away, but your word will never pass away. We lean on the truth of your word this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name.